Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. China is considered to be the country with the highest adoption population of kids that are actually coming into the United States. To have good parents, I think most of you in here would agree, biologically or through adoption is an amazing thing. And unfortunately, there are a lot of kids in our country, in in our region, you know, maybe even on, on this road here, but also around the world that have not had that experience. And if that's the case for any of you that are in here right now, whenever you were growing up and now you're an adult, I just want you to know that my heart and the heart of this church definitely goes out to you. Many of these individuals become broken adults because they were deprived of the needed affection, encouragement, and attention that comes through immediate family. In sociology, we call that a major agent of socialization. The family, especially early childhood, is very important. There are currently more than 400,000 kids in foster care, and we have some great foster foster parents in in our church. There are more than 400,000 kids in foster care in the United States, and some of these kids get the experience of adoption, which is like a fresh start in so many ways. So adoption of this kind into a biological family means this, a process whereby a person assumes the parenting of another from the person's biological or legal parent or parents. Legal adoptions permanently transfer all rights, all rights of that child and responsibilities along with filiation from the biological parents to the adopted parents. It's transferred. Now, this is what, for us, spiritual adoption means. It's the admission of a believer into the family of God, which is a beautiful thing. All those that are justified, God gives in and for his only son to make partakers of the grace of adoption this completely new experience that we have, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and the privileges of children of God. Now, many of us don't live like we are the recipients of this gift, even though we are, in fact, recipients of this important gift. So, so far, what we did last week is we started to analyze the problems that Naomi was having going back to her home country with all of the deaths, uh, Elimelech, her husband, her two sons, one daughter-in-law stays, and then another daughter-in-law, which we know is Ruth, and which this book is actually based on, actually decides to go with her. And what we did was we took her misfortunes and we likened it 
to our condition as sinners. We talked about the gospel parallel that we saw, and this is where we are today. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn in it or you can follow on the screen, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. And in Ruth chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Today's message in a lot of ways is going to be like what we looked at last week, but the parallels that we're going to view have more to do with Ruth today than have to do with Naomi. Absolutely just amazing what we're going to talk about. My hope and my desire is that if there is someone in here or people in here that do not know Jesus, that today is the day of salvation and that today is the day that you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's also my desire for those of you that are in a stale place, for those of you who are in a place of dead religion, for those of you that are in a place in which, especially during this time of year, you're not able to experience and express the gratitude of what God has done for you through His Son, that today will be important as well. It should be a day that changes every single one of us. So Ruth chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Now when Naomi had been re- had had a res- now Naomi had a respected relative a man of worth who her husband from the family of Elimelech his name was Boaz Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi let me go to the field that I may glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose eyes I might find favor Naomi replied to her go my daughter so she went She arrived and she gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that did belong to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He said to the harvesters, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Boaz said to his young man, the one who had overseen the the harvesters, to whom does this young woman belong? The young man who was overseeing the harvesters answered, she's a young Moabite woman. That that is critical, that detail right there, because this is letting Boaz know that she is a foreigner, which is going to be considered under normal circumstances to be a very unusual and also plaguing uh, type of thing from from the beginning. She's a young Moabite woman, the one who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She said, please let me glean so that I might gather up grain from among the bundles behind the harvesters. She arrived and has been on, she arrived and had been on her feet from the morning until now and had sat down only for a moment. Boaz said to Ruth, haven't you understood my daughter? Don't go glean in another field. Don't go anywhere else. This is also a really big deal that he's asking her to stay. Instead, stay here with my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and go along with them. I've ordered the young men not to assault you. Well, he's just really friendly, isn't he? Times have changed a lot. I've told our men not to assault you. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Whenever you are thirsty, go to the jugs and drink that the young men have filled. Again, very, very unusual. And you'll understand that in just a minute. Then she bowed down, face to the ground and replied to him, how is it that I found favor in your eyes that you would even take notice of me? I'm an immigrant. Boaz responded to her, everything that you did for your mother-in-law after her husband's death has been reported fully to me, how you left behind your father, your mother, and your land of birth, and you came to a people that you hadn't even known beforehand. May the Lord reward you for your deed. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. She said, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, sir, 
because you've comforted me and you've spoken so kindly to me, your female servant, even though I'm not one of your female servants. So what we see as a central part of this passage and one of the key focuses that we want to recognize today is this ancient practice of gleaning. Okay, that's what she's doing in the field as she's following the, the other harvesters around as she's going through the field. This practice is called gleaning. Gleaning has been a social welfare practice for thousands of years. The law commanded, this begins in Leviticus, the law commanded that the Hebrew farmers leave a portion of their crops unharvested so that the poor can then follow along and pick up anything that is left. So if you own like this massive piece of land, we'll say that you've got a, a 250, 300 acres that you are farming, your family goes through and they get up all the crops that they see first, but then anything that is left over, yes, other people can go in your field and they can start taking this. This is how the Mosaic law was set up. It's for poor neighbors and also strangers, which is the, the category that she's going to fall into as a foreigner, to come to the land and pick up what is left. Now, something important that you need to understand about gleaners, and this is why he was using the language that he was, is because there is a lot of shame associated with gleaning. So if you've taken all of your crops in and you're starting to, uh, to store things and get everything ready for the rest of the season and, and you know, whatever this looks like, if you're, a, if you're a farmer during this period of time, all of a sudden you look out your window and you say, well, there comes the, the gleaners. You know, there comes the people that don't have anything. I hope they're not out there for too long. I hope they don't think that they can take everything that's left over. It's just a very shameful, very bottom of society position. All right, so for Boaz to have spoken to her the way that he did is something that we need to see as very significant. So with gleaners at the bottom of society, Ruth and Naomi fit right in. Again, we must remember this after last week, Ruth and Naomi must be understood as existing at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. They have absolutely nothing. And what we've done is we've taken this scriptural parallel and we've seen ourselves as sinners. And some of you last week were able to recognize the sin that you were born into. We also, because of that condition, were once at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. So what do people at the bottom do? If you know that you have a long prison sentence, if you know that you are desperately poor, if you know that your spouse has just left you, if you know that you're in the throes of addiction, what do people do whenever they're in this situation? They're seeking mercy. So Ruth is seeking mercy. And what this mercy often looks like are these, these prayers, God, please help me. God, please help me. I'll never do it again. I'll turn everything over to you. And sometimes this mercy and this prayer and this plead is very sincere. And it needs to be very sincere. But please understand this. Ruth has nothing. She's in a foreign country. She doesn't know anyone. The only relationship she has is with her poor, struggling, older widow mother who no longer has any male survivors in her family. 
the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. It's a state of desperation for Naomi. But as we see this week, it's also a state of desperation for Ruth. This is what she says. In desperation, please let me glean so that I might gather up grain from among the bundles behind the harvesters. She arrived and has been on her feet from morning until now and is only set down for a moment. They've got to have food. They've got to be able to survive. And in this situation, as widows, especially in Naomi's case, as an older widow, but I guess also in Ruth's case, as a foreign widow, there aren't even a lot of public places that they can go to without being taken advantage of. So they're out in these fields with all of the other poor, and who knows how long it's been since they've even had something to eat. So as we continue to make these parallels with the gospel, it's important to understand Ruth's need for mercy and our need for mercy. Meaning, we better understand, and you better understand, what it means to glean. And your life, even as a follower of Jesus, even after salvation, even after redemption, if you lose the desire, if you lose the desperation, if you lose the need to glean, well, you're just a dead person walking. You have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. So it's nice to be Boaz, where most of us are sitting. Life's pretty good. Look at those people. You know, the majority of people in this world, they're going to hell. They just don't see things right. They don't see things the way that I do. And what happens is we have this collection of people that believe that they are morally superior to others that have no understanding of what it means to touch the dirt, of what it means to have your face in the dirt, of what it means to really look for food with this kind of desperation that this woman is experiencing. Now, she doesn't know. She's hoping she can find favor in some way in the fields. But as people go throughout their lives with this Americanized Christianity, they have no idea what desperation looks like. They have no idea what it means to to look downward and say, God, help me. I am a sinner. This is something that we've lost. And you see, this is something that is completely necessary for all of us. So let me challenge you with just a few questions. Has your sin, because I know last week we talked to a lot of people and even have a difficult time admitting they're sinners. Well, I'm not a sinner. I mean, I may do some bad things, but all those people who go to church, they do bad things too. I'm, I'm really not that bad. This is the kind of, this is, this is our language today. Have you ever truly been broken down by your sin? Because there are a lot of people, and there are people in this room right now, that they just brush it off. They just brush it off. Well, God saved me back in 1942 at such and such Baptist church. I'm okay. And and they just brush off these things because they have forgotten what it looks like to glean. Or they have never, in a lot of cases, gleaned. I'm very suspicious of people who just hold on to a date. Let me say that because I don't think they understand anything about gleaning. Has your sin ever truly moved you? Your, your, your darkness within, that ugliness 
that struggle, that difficulty, has it ever really moved you to a place of repentance? Has it ever done that? And how about this? Have you ever witnessed the residual impact that your sin has on other people? Because I want you to hear something in here, dads. The things that you say, the way that you treat other people, the anger in your attitude, it has a trickle-down effect on your wife and children. The things that you say at work, the gossip, the backhanded comments, the disruption, the toxic environment, it has an impact on other people. But you see, we have no idea what it means to glean. And I'll tell you something, and this is very hard for me to say. I believe that the majority of people believe everything is fine with their spiritual condition. And they've never been face to face with their reality as sinners. I believe that the majority of people inside of church, outside of church, in a lot of different places, believe that everything, well, I kind of messed up a few times last week. Well, it's been a hard six months. Read the Bible. Well, I, I kind of get to it when I get a chance. Pray, yeah, I do that sometimes. That this casual approach is where the majority of people are. And the reason that they're in this place is because they've never been to the fields to glean. Or they've not been in the fields to glean in a very long period of time. So consider Ruth. She was desperate. Ruth was hungry. Have you ever been hungry? Physically hungry. Okay, if I get hungry, I pull into Panda Express. A lot lately. I wish Dustin Wilson was here. Is Dustin Wilson here? He must not be here today. That's, that's a joke we've got going on. I, I, if I'm hungry, I go and I get something and I eat. But imagine having to go into a field hoping you can find something, that kind of desperation. Ruth had nowhere to return. Do you realize that whenever she left Moab for Israel, she left any opportunity of a future behind for Naomi? Ruth has no real allies. She's a foreigner. Ruth has no protection from this assault that we talked about. She is completely vulnerable. And this is the condition of a gleaner. And this is the way, the, the posture in life that every single one of us should be in every single day of our lives. I believe that there are people in our church that live in nice subdivisions. There are people not in our church that live in nice subdivisions in different uh, places in, in Boone's Creek, around here in some other locations, and they know the experience of a bad day. And some people even know the experience of a bad life. And some of you are going through really difficult times right now. But the question is, do you really understand what it means to glean? I've, I've shared with you on a number of occasions my, my situation and my condition as an alcoholic and, and, and what my life was like about 10 years ago 
Whenever I started to go through the period of getting sober and, and my prayer, when I knelt down and said, God, I'm leaving all of this stuff behind, but, but there's some other things that I haven't shared with you. Some very, very desperate moments. I've not shared that for a short period of time, Beth and I were separated. And I had a friend that was also going through a divorce. And this friend didn't hardly have any furniture in his house because his ex-wife took it all. And that's where I was staying. And I was sleeping on the floor in a spare bedroom, desperate. But here's the thing, not desperate to drink again, desperate to glean, desperate to continue, desperate knowing that I, knowing that I had a future, knowing that I had said no to something, knowing that there was every opportunity in the world to return to where I was. But my desperation, this Ruth desperation, told me that if my marriage was over, I was never going to do this to someone again. That if God had truly been this good to me, and if what this book says is true, and God really loves me, I will die in the fields gleaning before I ever go back. Where are you? Where are you in the casualness of your day-to-day -day life? When you maybe get on you version, read a, ver read a verse or two, then you go on about your day. Maybe you throw up a, a, a short prayer on your way into work or in the car. Where are you in your life? Is there really this desperation? Because this is what I believe. I believe that some of you are in a relationship. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a casual relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. And it's falling apart and you know it. And you are becoming desperate. There are others of you in here, maybe you've had the same career for a long period of time, and you see that there is a very good possibility that it's about to end. And you're becoming desperate. Some of you in here may struggle with addiction, and a lot of times people who struggle with addictions are not the kind of people that you would look at and think are the ones that are struggling. But your self-esteem is killed. And you are so tired of telling yourself over and over, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, only to find yourself returning. And that same shame and that same self-torture, returning. Some of you are young. You're, you're a teenage boy, you're a teenage girl, and you don't like yourself. And you don't like yourself because you're comparing yourself to every other teenager on social media. And you're telling yourself you're not pretty enough, you're not skinny enough, you're not fit enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough. Some of you are desperate. And some of you are close to this place of gleaning. Now the question is really this. Whenever you go to the field, are you going to get your hands and your feet in your face in the ground? And are you going to stay there? Or if another opportunity that kind of looks like God or could pass as God comes along, 
are you going to turn and go in that direction like you have in the past? Again and again and again. You miss it. The desperation slightly loses its grip, and that's temporary. And then you find yourself in the same place over and over again. The next thing that I want you to recognize after Ruth is seeking mercy is that she finds it. Ruth finds mercy through the goodness of Boaz. She's able to discover it. And the way that we look at this mercy that she finds in Boaz is the same way that we find mercy in our good God. Look at what the passage says in 8 through 12. Boaz said to Ruth, haven't you understood my daughter? Don't go glean in another field. Don't go anywhere else. Instead, stay here with these young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and and go along after them. I've ordered the young men not to assault you. I know this may not sound like 21st century chivalry, but it means a lot during this period of time. Whenever you are thirsty, go to the jugs and drink from from what the young men have filled. Then she bowed down face to the ground. This is desperation. And replied to him, How is it that I have found favor in your eyes and that you've noticed me? Have you ever found yourself as a sinner in this dark place? And then all of a sudden, grace grabs a hold of you. And you're thinking, God, how can you still love me after this? How can you still be paying attention to me? How is it that you can still care? That's how real this is. That's how wonderful this is. And this is what Boaz is reaching out and offering her. Boaz responded to her, everything that you did for your mother-in-law after her husband's death has been reported fully to me. I know about you, Ruth. I've heard about your desperation. I've heard about your loyalty. These things have been known to me. How you left behind your father and your mother in the land of birth and came to a people who you hadn't even known beforehand. May the Lord reward you for for your deeds. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, this God that you never knew before, you've come to seek refuge. You may not think this sounds like a big deal. In fact, you may make nothing out of this experience, understanding your life through the the context of uh, the 21st century as an American. But this is absolutely huge. He's giving her a fresh start in so many ways. And that means a lot, especially if you're hungry. Boaz knew of her kindness and her willingness. And he came to her rescue. Let me share a New Testament parallel that will mean something to a lot of you because this is a story that you're probably more familiar with. The Gospels tell us about a woman who has an issue of blood. And we don't know exactly, we think we do, but we don't know exactly what that issue of blood was. But we knew that this woman had struggled for 12 years. And we know that if you know anything about the Mosaic law, that no one is even able to touch her if she is ceremonially unclean. And she has to be clean for seven days before anyone can touch her. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you went 12 years without any form of physical touch or acknowledgement whatsoever? Desperate. Gleaning. 
Can you imagine what your life would look like if your family and your friends and everyone around you, when you walked into a room, I know some of you have felt this way whenever you've, you've had COVID. When you walk into a room and everybody like does this and kind of text, it's like you're the leper of society. This is her for 12 years of her life. The religious people, the people that were supposed to be bringing her in and caring for her and loving her so much, everyone had left her. Now, if there's one thing she's definitely not supposed to do, it's go in public. You definitely don't go in public. You stay in your dark room where you've been, because if you get close to anyone else, you're going to ruin the day. You're going to infect everyone. But you know what she does? She knows that this man named Jesus is walking around healing other people. So she says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to glean. I'm going to step out because I'm desperate and because I've got nowhere else to turn. I'm going to the fields. That's where I'm going. And I don't care what happens to me. What do I have to lose at this point? Have you ever been in that situation in your life? Really, what do I have to lose? I could give Jesus everything. I could try this out. I could follow him because I've been to these other places and they don't work. You can never get enough of something that almost works. And that's what society offers. Something that almost works over and over. And something even worse than that is this casual Christianity garbage. Sorry, I'm passionate. All right. So she walks out. And she's completely desperate. And you know what she says. You've heard the hymn before. I'll give you a slightly different translation. In her desperation, she says, if I could only touch his robe, I will be healed. As your, as your hymn says, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. This woman who is not supposed to be touching anyone starts pushing herself through the fields gleaning. She's pushing herself. She's touching people. She doesn't care. And then you know what she does? She creates the ultimate sin. She touches the Messiah. And when she does, the power leaves his body. Now, why was she changed? Because God is good. God is good. Why was she changed? Because Jesus was the son of God. Yes, he was the son of God. But what's significant about her? She was desperate. And she made the decision to glean. We have no desperation. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Forget all this 21st century American church. Let's make it a business, all this stuff. Forget all that. It doesn't matter how impressive you are. It doesn't matter. I don't care about your talents, your experience, your credentials. If you've not spent time gleaning in the fields, you're on a fast track to nowhere. Your life is going nowhere. And it doesn't matter how much more money you're making. It doesn't matter this beautiful family that you're raising. It doesn't matter how many people know your name. If you don't understand what it means to glean in the fields, you have nothing. Spiritually speaking, you better glean like your life depends on it. You better glean like there is nothing else that you have. Boaz 
sees this desperation. And he shows her mercy. Here's the beautiful part. God does the same. You think you have to clean yourself up for church? You think you have to look, maybe the way you dress, at least a little bit, like some of the other people that you know? It's all garbage. None of it matters. You come desperate. You come hungry. You come with nowhere else to turn. And God will show you mercy. John 3.16, you know this one, a lot of you do. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone or anyone who believes in him, they will not perish. And they will have eternal life. Going back to where we started, adoption provides opportunity. Adoption offers a fresh start. Adoption takes what could have been and often is a horrible situation and grants the possibility of a safe, loving home with a future. But hear this. Ruth doesn't know the possibility of adoption without the difficult and shameful experience of gleaning. Gleaning is looking in the mirror and seeing a person that cannot save himself or cannot save herself. Hear me now. I know people that want to lead. They want to belong. They want to go to heaven. They want all of the good things that the spiritual, they're ready to go. But they're too proud to glean. And a lot of people in our world of the church are too proud to glean. And until we really start gleaning, the power of the Holy Spirit cannot and will not fall upon this place. Gleaning creates the necessary conditions for adoption. And adoption changes everything. Few of you have heard this story. I was driving down the road recently. I take Thursdays off. Thursday is my my 24-hour Sabbath. it's, It's harder to get a hold of me on Thursdays than it is other days. But I spend the day, used to spend it with our our middle daughter, now I spend it with our youngest son. But we're riding down the road, we had a good breakfast. He says, Daddy? And I said, what? And he says, I trust you. Where'd you even hear those words? You know, two years old, he says, Daddy, I trust you. And this has become very symbolic of my life. In my desperation, in my struggles. And I'm like the rest of you. The second I think I've got it figured out, the second I think, well, I'm on to something. I'm getting a little bit more spiritual than I was. I do something so stupid or say something so stupid. And I'm like, back to the fields. Back to gleaning. 
back to the work because that's exactly where God has me. And as I do this, hands in the dirt, feet in the dirt, face in the dirt, over and over, not understanding. Daddy, I trust you. Knowing it's just a broken down man in his early 30s that thought he had figured everything out, was doing wonderful, getting to see the world, sleeping on the floor of a friend that he didn't even know well. The guy was also, by the way, a moderate drinker. Not a big drinker, but a moderate drinker. Beer in the refrigerator, liquor in the freezer, me, six, seven, eight days sober, something like that. Thinking there's a very good possibility that, I'm, that I, my, my marriage is going to end. Laying there with these thoughts on my mind and not even recognizing it at the time. Daddy, I trust you. I have nothing else. I've been there. I've seen what that looks like. I know what tomorrow morning's going to feel like. I know if I do this again, I know if I have this short period of comfort with what I might be watching on TV, what I could be watching on my computer, what I could be drinking, what I could be smoking, what I could be snorting, the way that I treat other people. I know what that feels like. And it's never enough. Where are you today in your heart? Is this a day that this, this desperation, it needs to be the first time that you experience this? Or is this one of those days that you just need to say, man, I have really been taking what Jesus did for me for granted. And I need to be on my face today just saying thank you. Because I recognize where I was and where I am right now. And maybe if you can't say that, there's another kind of decision that you need to make. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Uh, for those of you that are in here, I'm going to ask uh, for, for several kinds of prayers. And I just pray for your honesty. No one's looking around. But there may be some of you that are willing to say, I'm not gleaning. I'm not desperate. I really, really lack that desperation. I'm in a place right now where I'm just basically floating through life and this reality of what I am and what God has truly delivered me from is just not a reality. And I need you to pray for me. I need that fire back. I need that back. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Just be honest enough to admit that. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else this morning? Thank you, sir. Anyone else this morning, be honest. Now, maybe you're in here this morning and you would say that I've, I've never had that relationship before. And if I have, I recognize in this moment that it wasn't or it isn't authentic. It's casual. You know, some people know that I'm a Christian. Other people may not. It's certainly not exhibited day-to-day uh, -day in the way that I lived. I might have said a prayer at one time. I've been in church for a long time. But it's not a deeply personal relationship. I want to make it that today. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. But more importantly, much more importantly, you need to make the decision today. And there's so many people in this church to help you.
but you need to make the decision today to turn in a new direction. You can pray this prayer after me if you feel led. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there is nothing I can do on my own apart from you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, it is my desire to follow you. Again, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you simply lift your hand so that we can acknowledge that that decision was made? Anyone in here this morning? I see your hand there on the, on the far left. Anyone else here this morning uh, that has made that decision? I, I can't see if anyone else raised their hand. I was looking in a different direction. Anyone else this morning? What I'd like to ask you to do if you did make that decision this morning is just simply to take a connect card out in front of your seat, below your seat. Check it off, put it in the bucket as you leave just so that we can know that that decision was made today. We're gonna sing. We're gonna open up this altar if you're able and you'd like to come down. You're more than welcome to do that. But what we need to be praying for as a church is that this desperation, this, this posture of gleaning is there to stay. Father, we come to you today and lift you up. We praise you. We thank you. We acknowledge your goodness and that there is no good in us. God, we pray that we can take the lesson that we have read from your scripture this morning, Father, and, and that it change us. God, that we never think that we have arrived, Father, but that we see our great need for you in everything that we do. God, I pray that you stir and move hearts right now, Father, and I pray if you need to break us down, that you break us down. God, do not let us leave this place until our heart is made right with you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.